0: This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit FilmGeekRadio.com for more great shows.
1: Hey movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your start for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo.
0: Hello, Andrew.
1: Monica, what would you do if it really was the end of the world? Honestly, if if it was the end of the world, I know I probably would not be recording with you right now. I'm sorry to say.
2: Dude, we're getting really deep here. (laughs) I don't think I'm ready for this.
1: You're not ready for this? This is like
2: a level of commitment. Like, am I supposed to trust you with that information?
1: (laughs) If you only had one more night, what would you do?
2: It would not be driving to North Carolina. <laughs> Love you, but no. <laughs> I'd text you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd text you and say, it was fun. It
2: was fun. <laughs> went on the curb for me. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, this is part two of episode number 53 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie. This is the end. So if you're looking for part one, go away. You're listening to the wrong file. And we're going to spoil things for you, if you're not careful. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, basically this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted to the discussion of mainstream blackbuster films, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is the general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one, or, or at least after you've seen the film. Again, this is part two, so if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening right now and go check out part one. Uh, This week we're talking about This Is The End, the new comedy starring Seth Rogen, James Franco, Danny McBride, Craig Robinson, Jay Baruchel, and a bunch of other people all playing themselves during the apocalypse. Here's a clip.
2: I hid in a drainpipe for days, like three or four, I don't even know how many. And then I stopped hearing people, and I started hearing growling noises. Out
1: there, in your travels, uh, did you see anything that you would describe
0: as apocalyptic?
2: I mean, no, but uh, no. I would say it's completely obvious what's, what's going on here. I mean, it's a, it's a zombie invasion.
1: I'm the one who said it's been you zombies. Said zombies. Said zombies. You who said time. zombies the whole time. I don't think you never I said, said zombies. Zombies. No, like you zombies. zombies. Wait a second. You guys haven't been proven right. These are still just theories. Uh, Honestly,
2: yeah. I'm just so relieved that you guys are here, and I'm very happy about the idea of sleeping. and yeah. just tired? general Yeah.
1: If you want to take a little rest, um, you're welcome to do that upstairs.
2: Thank you. Cool. Thanks, I'll, I'll show you the nice. way. Thanks, guys.
1: Seriously,
0: you're awesome. Really. You're awesome. So tight. Okay.
1: All right, Monica, this is the end. There's a lot of things we could talk about. So, let's just dive right into the thick of things. Mm-hmm. It turns out the world actually is coming to an end, and it's not due to climate change or nuclear war or anything like that. Zombies. It's not zombies. It is the day of judgment. The <laughs> biblical day of judgment.
2: No one could have seen that one coming. No one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the 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 rapture mm-hmm. has occurred and everyone else has been left behind, including all of the amoral, selfish douchebags in Hollywood, get left behind to fend for themselves against Satan and his minions. What did you think of that development? It's a
2: great premise.
1: I agree. I, I was surprised that they actually went for it. And that they handle it in a way that, sure, it's a very simplistic version of that brand of theology. Yeah, but they they try to stay true, I think, to the basic principles of it. Uh, I'm sure hardcore fundamentalists will <laughs> scream and protest.
0: Are they
2: allowed to go to rated R films?
1: I don't. I don't know. I don't it's, think they're allowed right. to see
2: movies with dick jokes.
1: You're right. It's possible that most of the uh, audience that read the Left Behind novels <laughs> uh, will not <laughs> be going to see. <laughs> this is the end.
2: That is not what was in the series.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, but but what what did you think of of how they handled the religious aspects of it?
2: I mean, it's a spoof comedy. I didn't feel disrespected as a christian or anything like that i thought they had fun with it i mean if anyone's actually read the book of revelation it is the trippiest thing
1: oh right yeah yeah
2: it puts the song of songs of shame which yes. if anyone's not familiar with the bible that is the chapter on sex it is a love poem
1: yeah that's the uh that's the the porn book in the bible and revelation is basically the trippy End of the world insanity.
2: Crazy chapter. guy ranting on the street corner. Yes, that is what gave him nightmares. Is because he read that book.
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. There's nothing particularly offensive about how they handle that, no. unless you're the type of person that takes the Book of Revelation really, really seriously.
2: Yeah, I didn't think it talked down to it, the belief. I didn't think it. I think it just had fun with the material. Seven-headed demons.
1: Yeah, and it also gives them an opportunity to make fun of a lot of supernatural horror movies like The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby and to bring actual demons into the, yeah. into the picture. I mean, I don't know about you, Monica, but demonic Jonah Hill is one of the most hilarious <laughs> things I've seen in a long time.
2: That was pretty funny.
1: I think it's the fact just that they they give him that really deep demonic distorted voice and then they just have him talking like Jonah Hill.
2: <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. No, nope, just take your time. <laughs> I'll be here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no guys arguing among yourselves. You know, it it was very smart. I think I think they did a good job with that. It was fun that oh, this I thought was interesting in terms of the religious aspect. The uh the blue lights coming down from Above, looking like aliens, and then that's what Jay is saying: "Guys, sucked up. It's aliens. You know that sort of thing."
1: Well, yeah, yeah, it is. It is that really iconic image you see all the time in these alien abduction movies. Well, I'm
2: trying to remember how it was in the the Kirk Cameron uh, Left Behind movies, but I don't think it was beams of light.
1: No, no, no. In the in the Left Behind series, I actually have read a few of those. I have too. And from what I – and I, I actually saw the, the movie. I did which see
2: the is, movie. Oh, my gosh. This is something that only southern people do.
1: <laughs> yes. The movie is hilariously awful. Awful. Uh, and from what I recall, people don't get, like, sucked up in beans of light. They just disappear. And, like, their clothes are just left behind
0: and
1: stuff. Wait, I
2: have one better. Uh, Once in school, because I went to a private Christian school in high school, they showed one version of Apocalypse where people's, they would disappear, but their clothes would be neatly folded (laughs) on top of their (laughs) seats. (laughs) Like, their pants or, like, somebody's dress, like, neatly pressed and placed right there with their shoes together facing out, like...
1: It's nice that they didn't leave a mess behind for That's people to clean up. Not
2: what
0: happened and this is the end.
1: <laughs> yeah, and this is the and this is the end. Thankfully, they're just like, "Nope, you're you're going to get sucked up into the sky clothes and all." And I actually really like how they handled that visually. Yeah. I liked how in the third act it does become this interesting little morality play mm. about, okay, what can we do to get back into God's good graces? Yeah. What can we do? To be
2: nice to each other.
1: <laughs> be nice to each other? Well, it's more than be nice to each other, mm-hmm. actually.
2: Sacrifice.
1: The film is actually sort of nuanced in how it presents this idea of being good. Mm-hmm. And it. I was actually really impressed with how they, they handled it because – you you wind up with people like Jonah Hill,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who is supposedly the nicest guy yeah. out of all of them. In the entire movie, he has nothing but compliments. He's dishing out to everyone. He's always trying to stay level-headed, keep people from fighting. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that it's all a front, and he really is... He really does have hatred in his heart. <laughs> yes. And and he just wants Jay Baruchel to die. Yeah. And it's when he reveals that that he ends up getting raped by the devil <laughs> and possessed by a demon. And so I, I I liked that development, how it acknowledges that people aren't always what they seem. And then, you know, there, there's that really nice little moment at the end where James Franco sacrifices himself. hmm for Seth Rogen which which I was expecting the entire movie. Yeah. Given how they play up his his little man crush yeah. on Seth Rogen and then ultimately he's too proud and too vain about it so it doesn't work out <laughs> for him. Yeah. It seemed to acknowledge hypocrisy (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know in a weird way how how you will see religious people or or people who claim to know the truth or claim to be to somehow be better than than everyone else Mm -hmm. and and they'll use that to the detriment of others and there's really nothing pure about that at all yeah and i liked how the film acknowledged that and it, 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 it seems to say that the only way you can truly, you know, make it to heaven or be a good person or whatever is to have a true spirit of self-sacrifice and, and altruism to, to honestly put other people, even the people you might not always get along with above yourself. So it's, it's a nice little, little message, mm-hmm. I thought, that, that doesn't entirely keep things black and white.
2: Yeah. Because it was something that they had to figure out as well. So while they were stumbling about saying, oh, no, this isn't enough. This is, you know, we have to go this way and and do say this or do that. uh, We were along for the ride as well.
1: Right. Like like I was thinking there would be a lot of films who... When James Franco sacrifices himself at the end, mm-hmm. most movies would let him, yeah, get to heaven, you know, because he's one of the main characters and we're supposed to like him. Yeah, yeah. Most films would let him have his cake and eat it too, where he would get to sacrifice himself and be noble, but then also get to flip everyone else off. Yeah, as he went up to heaven. And I liked how the the, the directors here, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, were like, No, it's not quite that easy.
2: Yeah. I like the word you chose, nuanced. It's pretty apt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's a little bit nuanced.
2: Even though this film, I wouldn't use that word to describe it. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) In this sense, yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it acknowledges, hey, if you really aren't pure of heart, you're going to get eaten by cannibals.
2: Yeah. A.K.A. Danny McBride.
1: And Channing Tatum.
2: Oh. So...
1: (laughs) Which has to be one of the best cameos of the past few years. So
2: that was a weird thing. Let's, let's talk about some of the tough issues that okay. I had about the movie. Awkward. So his cameo was one of the best things about the movie. It was hilarious. No one was expecting that, right? All right. Right, even though
1: they they had mentioned Channing in Tatum in passing
2: at like the beginning, but did you remember him he didn't appear. He didn't appear, he didn't appear at the beginning.
1: No, he didn't actually appear, but but they did mention like, like oh, "Oh, his I house w- is over there." His house is over there and I find him very attractive.
2: Yeah. But that wasn't Danny McBride who said that. It was Seth Rogen or so, one of the other guys. Right.
1: And then at the end it turns out Channing Tatum has become Danny McBride's sex slave.
2: Yeah. Which is, you know... Mm.
1: No? That that crossed the line for you?
2: Yeah, it's still a sort of domination. It's still, like, rape, essentially?
1: Well, yeah, but given the fact that it's Danny McBride, that's what you expect. He's a total, dominating, selfish douchebag.
2: Yeah, but does that justify the joke itself?
1: I, I would say it does.
2: It's tough, because I laughed at, oh my god, that's Channing Tatum in a pink luchador mask. And then it was also kind of awkward, because Danny's talking about entering him.
1: (laughs) Yes, he is. Okay, we'll see. Okay, that that brings up, if you just want to talk about the general issue of rape humor.
2: Yeah, that is the general issue, because then there's another scene where there's almost what, a three- to five-minute dialogue about, no, I'm not even thinking about that, and then still making fun of the, I guess, I don't know, let's let's talk about that as well. I, I,
1: I'm with you, Monica. I would consider myself a fellow feminist, yeah. and I do not think that rape humor is always appropriate, and I agree that rape culture is a thing. And that a lot of times comedy can perpetuate really, really negative ideas mm-hmm. about women and about sexual assault. I was not offended by how they handled it. And this is the end, mm-hmm. however. The Channing Tatum thing, again, maybe it's because Channing Tatum's a dude. And yes, I know that male rape is still an issue that happens. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it was Channing Tatum and it was so over the top and it's Danny McBride who's not a sympathetic character in the movie. No. You know, the, the fact that he was the one doing it, I thought, made the joke work. And in regards to the other situation you're talking about with Emma Watson, mm-hmm. that scene absolutely worked for me because it was acknowledging, I think, what to a certain extent... The audience was thinking because I, don't, I mean, I don't know about you, Monica, but as soon as Emma Watson showed up, mm-hmm. my first thought was this is going to turn into one of those movies where the guys are fighting over the girl and it's going to cause tension mm-hmm. between them. So then when Jay Beruchel kind of acknowledges, hey, guys, you know, there's six of us and one of her, we should probably talk about this. I thought that was a really nice way to segue into it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I guess the way that I interpreted the end of that scene where she comes out with her axe and just fights her way out and robs them. At first, I kind of thought it was more of like, oh, she's overreacting. They're not even talking about raping her. And, you know, she goes to these extremes because she's just not taking it. So it just didn't really sit well for me. But another friend had mentioned that he saw it as she had the last laugh. As her asserting that damn right. You're not even going to think about it. So, I don't know. Also, I'm not a big fan of the uh, word rapey, so I guess.
1: I didn't have a problem with
2: it. I think it belittles the crime, so.
1: I don't think it does because I don't think it's actually referring to the crime in that situation. It was just referring to the overall atmosphere of domination And the potential, I think, for assault that J.B. Rochelle was trying to to, to capture.
2: Yeah, that's just the terminology. I mean, it's just what's used still in just normal lexicon, but...
1: What made it work for me is that at no point is the actual rape, you know, real or potential rape of Emma Watson played as the punchline. Mm Mm-hmm it's her misunderstanding of what they're talking about and their struggle to figure out what each other is talking about i think that makes it work it's 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 a, it's a comedy it's it's a joke of uh miscommunication yeah. yeah yeah and 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 that's why i think it works and it was really funny because, it, it, I mean, it goes it goes back to the age-old question popularized by When Harry Met Sally. Mm-hmm. Is it possible for men and women to just be friends? Or will sex inevitably enter the picture?
0: Well,
2: not those guys. They don't. <laughs> right. They can't handle it.
1: Well, the, the, exactly. So, as soon as Emma Watson shows up, my first thought was, okay, how can these six guys not eventually come to see her sexually Mm -hmm. and the fact that they didn't even play that out yeah really as as a major story arc of the film i kind of liked it's they sort of acknowledged yeah we could go that way and a lot of movies have gone that way a lot of these end of the world yeah you know survival movies we're not going to do that we're just going to sort of acknowledge the potential for that and make fun of it and and then move on
2: fine there's so much bromance in between all of them (laughs)
1: <laughs> there is a lot of romance. There is a lot of couples on.
2: therapy that needed to happen.
1: There's a lot of cuddling.
2: There is some cuddling. Mm-hmm. Jonah Hill gets surprisingly cuddly.
1: He does, but yeah. Overall, I, I honestly didn't have much of a problem with the uh, with the rape jokes in this film. They didn't really stick out to me. You know, it, it's not like something like Horrible Bosses, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you remember, but that movie had a lot of little rape jokes about prison rape and stuff that they would just casually drop as punchlines. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it, it sort of, it, in that case, it did feel both offensive and also sort of like a crutch.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like, oh, we're just going to make these punchlines about rape because they'll shock people and it'll get a shock laugh. You know, with mm-hmm. this is the end, it didn't seem like that was really the driving force behind the jokes. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Well, then I guess uh, I wanted to ask your opinion on the Jonah Hill and demon scene. Okay. It is a movie reference.
1: It is a movie reference. And I think that is what saves it yeah. for me. Okay. Um, the fact that it, that it is a reference to Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. That is what makes it work, I think. But I, I will say, Monica, there was a 15 to 20 minute stretch of this film where it seemed like every joke had something to do with penises.
2: There's a lot of dick jokes.
1: It's either here's the image of a penis, or someone's going to be masturbating, or we're going to talk about ejaculating. Like, it, it, it was a little bit overwhelming, and honestly, I felt like the movie just kind of round to a halt, because it just seemed like they were repeating themselves and touching on the same comedic beats mm-hmm. over and over. Like... I'll be honest, they didn't need to have an extended exchange about Danny McBride masturbating all over James Franco's magazine, followed by minutes later another scene where they're arguing and just talking about ejaculating all over each other. Yeah. Both scenes were sort of funny.
2: They started funny and then they just lasted too long.
1: Well, I don't know. I think in I think in regards to the second scene where they're just talking about ejaculating all over each other, mm-hmm. that scene kind of worked for me because well f- well first of all, just the the amount of vulgarity in the language that they're using. Yeah. Is so over the top, and I think it's probably the most vulgar exchange I've ever heard in a comedy like this, (laughs) which is saying something. Yeah. So at first I was just kind of like, oh man, they're just, they're just going for the shock value here. That's kind of lazy. But then they just kept going with
2: it. Yeah. And it's
1: the bit sort of won me over.
2: Oh, okay. Usually, when bits go too long, it's just when they start losing me. It started off and I was like, "Oh,
1: really? This again? You're just going to go back to this sort of shock vulgarity." But then they just kept with it and I by the end of it I was laughing just because they did not stop. Okay. And they just w- went so over the top that uh that yeah, they won me over.
0: All right,
1: fair. But yeah, there was a segment of the movie where that that just really didn't work for me at all where it just seemed like they were relying too much on, on that type of humor. It sort of it, it reminded me of um funny people Mm -hmm. which i actually liked overall as a movie but it seemed like 80 percent of the jokes in funny people are dick jokes yeah and that is what portions of this is the end reminded me of it was just kind of like really guys can you stop talking about penises for five minutes we get it penises are funny you've made us laugh a few times yes move on
2: Demons with swinging dicks. Got it.
1: Well, okay. The the, the, the final demon with his big swinging penis <laughs> at the end. Th- okay, that's interesting to me. <laughs> because... Do tell. Because, okay. Here, here's the thing, Monica. There are so many references in this movie to previous films that these actors have made.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the movie opens up. With Seth Rogen in an airport, and a guy comes up to him and is like, hey, it's Seth Rogen, you play the same character in every movie. Yeah. Give us your your laugh or whatever. Yeah. And then later on, we actually get a low-budget version of a Pineapple Express. Sequel. Sequel. Yep. They have fun acknowledging that, yes, most of the audience has seen our movies, they're familiar with them, they like our movies, they even make fun of Your Highness. Yep. Which is a terrible, terrible movie. (laughs) And honestly, as soon as I saw the huge demon at the end with his big penis, I thought, oh, that's a Your Highness reference.
2: Oh, really? I didn't see Your Highness.
1: Lucky you. (laughs) Lucky (laughs) you. In Your Highness, at the end of the film, Danny McBride has to fight a minotaur with a really huge penis. Okay. And he kills the Minotaur and then cuts off his penis and wears it around his neck. It's like a trophy.
2: That would be why I missed that <laughs> reference and movie. Yeah,
1: and then in this movie, they have, they have the giant demon with his big penis, and then they get taken up to heaven, and the big beam of light cuts off, off yeah. his penis. Gotcha. So that almost seemed to me like a way to sort of redeem your highness, in a way.
2: Hey, somebody brought up Flyboys, okay? (laughs) We're going all out here. How many Green Hornet jokes were there?
1: It it was like, look, we're going to do the same joke we did in Your Highness, but we're going to put it in a good movie (laughs) to sort of make up for that.
2: Yeah, this was sort of like a mea culpa for a lot of bad (laughs) life decisions they made. (laughs) Yeah. Career decisions. Maybe not life decisions. But speaking about those movie references, so let's go through them. We have the really creepy Rosemary Baby with Jonah Hill.
1: Yeah, and and that worked for me overall.
2: It was, yeah, I don't know. I'm on the fence on it because I I had fun when it was just, you know, the hands. I was like, oh, it's Rosemary's Baby. Oh, my God. And then it got, like, it whipped out the dick. And I'm like, oh, God, please don't show it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, overall, I was willing to go with it just because it was a Rosemary's Baby reference.
2: I guess. Then there's the reference to The Exorcist when it's Demon Jonah Hill.
1: Which is hilarious.
2: Yeah. Can I chalk up? Michael Sarah to less than zero. <laughs> Probably not, but Mike- Michael Sarah's uh, cameo was great in that.
1: Michael Sarah, I-, I loved him in this movie. He is doing whatever he can, it seems, to distance himself from that image of him as just the innocent, soft spoken little He's kid. He's completely
2: coked out. He's being a badass <laughs> and a horrible douchebag.
1: Michael Bluth would be very disappointed.
2: Yeah. And then he's one of the first ones to go. So, fun stuff. But it was such a great Death Seed. Oh, it was. He's like, who had my phone? Oh, it was right here.
1: <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so good.
2: All right. I thought the big horned monster when they were in the other house across the way was the Ghostbusters reference. Because it looked like Gozer. Oh, no, not Gozer. It's Zool. Is it Zool? I forgot. Shoot.
1: I, I don't know. It's been forever since I saw Ghostbusters. No, I just
2: watched it. Uh, yeah, it's Zul because Dana turns into Zool. Anyways, yes, I thought it looked a lot like that monster.
1: I don't know. I I didn't get that reference, but that again was sort of around the period when the movie was starting to drag for me, and mm-hmm. that scene sort of worked. I think what what made it work was the fact that they kept cutting back. To Demon Jonah Hill, yeah, which was legitimately hilarious. Yeah, so so that that kept things exciting, but but yeah, that was right around the time when the movie started to pick up again okay. after a little slump. Fair in in the middle.
2: I thought the Danny McBride car looked a lot like kind of a uh, Mad Max. Oh, maybe so. Towards uh beyond Thunderdome, and yeah. uh the Laurel and Hardy joke that apparently only I picked up. Was uh, when uh, Jay sits next to Seth when they're hiding out, and he says, "Well, here's another fine mess." That's their famous line.
1: Oh, okay.
2: And I'm pretty sure I was probably one of two people laughing. <laughs> Not the only person laughing.
1: <laughs> nice.
2: Yeah, it's here's another fine mess we're in. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> it's cute because one's skinny and one's fat. <laughs>
1: Let me ask you, what did you think of Craig Robinson in this movie?
2: He was funny. I thought he was all right. And I love how he just walked around with the towel, Mr. Robinson, the entire time. (laughs) It was just like a weird, and it just kept reminding me of Mrs. Robinson from The Graduate. But I know it's his last name.
1: (laughs) I thought he did a really good job, and I loved how there's that first scene when they're drawing matches to see who has to go outside Mm -hmm. and he has to go and it was like oh of course he has to go he's the only black character yeah you know and i i loved how they didn't even mention it Yep. they just have the black guy be the one who's gonna go out and probably get killed
0: yeah
2: but they spare him
1: yeah, they do. Yeah,
2: they get rid of a few other characters before.
1: <laughs> I actually liked a lot of a lot of the jokes that he had in this movie. Even when like there's that one point where they're sort of segueing into the uh, the rape conversation, mm-hmm. when Jay is just like, "We need to talk about the elephant in the room," and then Craig just looks really offended. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, little stuff like that. I just thought were really nice touches. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the, the the joke that didn't work for me, honestly, is the one that's that they've been featuring in the trailers, where he admits that he's been drinking his own urine.
2: Oh yeah, I mean that's such a that's such a well trotted joke. I think for many survival comedies or so, right? It's to oh, we have to drink the pee. Oh my god.
1: What was interesting to me, though, is that again, that seemed like another situation. Where they were trying to, they they were they were trying to take that comedy and that line of humor farther than they had ever gone before. Mm-hmm. Before that, there's the scene where James Franco and Danny McBride are arguing about ejaculating on each other, mm-hmm. and then then they have the, all the stuff with the with the pee. And I, I was thinking, the only other time I've seen in a comedy, a mainstream comedy, a a, a joke like that is one of the earliest, one of the the very first jokes in The 40-Year-Old Virgin Mm -hmm. is Steve Carell getting out of bed, waking up with a huge boner, and trying to pee and and making a mess. And that is the only joke of that nature I can think of in a mainstream comedy. And in this movie, it's like they were trying to one-up it. Yeah. So they show Seth Seth Rogen Rogen. peeing in his own mouth, which honestly is... Really, it's not even funny. It's just really gross (laughs) and disturbing. And again, it seemed to me like they were saying, really, this is the end. We are taking this, this type of humor as far as it'll go. We're not going to do anything else after this. We're, we're just, we're leaving it all here.
2: Yeah. I thought for a second he was going to try and blow himself. And I was like, oh, geez. (laughs) Gonna get weird.
1: Yeah, most, most of the time, with the exception again of that, of maybe that 10 to 15 minute stretch, most of the time, even when the jokes weren't working, Mm -hmm. I could sort of appreciate what they were trying to do if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, is is there anything else that really stuck out to you about this is the end Mm. that you want to talk about?
2: It'd be fun to try and remember all the cameos off the top of
1: (laughs) your head. Well, that's the great thing is that that opening scene is so fantastic and there's so many cameos. Yeah. And honestly, I think that's part of why the middle section of the film doesn't quite work. It's because that first... 20 minutes it's just joke 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 and it's just constant and there's very little story or character development Mm -hmm. that they have to get to in between the jokes yeah it's very very rapid fire so then when they do have to slow down later on that's when it starts to feel kind of like a slog Mm. in comparison but yeah i mean one of the first cameos i remember is michael Sarah slapping rihanna yeah on the ass, which was hilarious, just because I was not ex- expecting. Well,
2: that's when we first start finding out. Oh man, Michael Sarah is not Michael Sarah here.
1: <laughs> well, well, the thing is that he he plays it so well. Yeah. Because he he snorts a line of coke, and we're like, oh, haha, Michael Sarah. Yeah. Is snorting coke, but then he, he the way he the the expression on his face, he has this look on his face like, should I do it? I want to do it, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, and, and and he he just he just totally sells it.
2: Yeah, juice box. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Oh man. Oh, uh, You're the, welcome. <laughs> the, the, the scene with the in the bathroom. Yeah. Oh man. Oh
2: man, and even Mindy Kaling when she ca- she showed up and she was like, "Yeah, I won that, Michael Sarah."
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, props to Michael Sarah for being willing to do it.
2: Yeah. Oh, Mac- McLovin was also there.
1: Yeah, there were so many people, Aziz sorry yep. there's a joke about how he dies, and and that's the really interesting thing, is that you see all these celebrities, and then by the end, you have to come to the realization that all of these people that we laughed at and the, that we love, they were terrible people and went to hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they fell into a pit of fire, literally. <laughs> They did not have a chance to save their souls. You know
2: what's sadder, though? The no-name people that just fell. We'll never know
1: them. <laughs> they weren't famous enough. They didn't no. make it in Hollywood, and now they're going to burn probably. And Germany. now they're
2: like girl one, girl two, girl three.
1: Oh, man. Can we can we talk about the very end when they go up to heaven? I have to say, when that happened, I was sort of, like, worried. Like, what is this going to be like? Is this going to be somewhat offensive yeah. To religious people, mm-hmm. and honestly, it's not. It, no, it's so. It is great.
2: I hate to keep saying it's so good, but it is. So.
1: <laughs> they basically just they basically just acknowledge, yeah, heaven is so great. You can have whatever you want, and Jay Rochelle decides he wants the Backstreet Boys. So that's how they end the movie, and it 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 totally worked. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, perfect way to end the movie.
2: I started laughing and I ended laughing, so that's you know. It met my needs for a comedy. Unfortunately, I didn't. I wouldn't give it like the highest rating I, I would give a comedy because it did have little extra lag and those awkward moments that it took me out of the moment. I hate to say it. Kind of had to start laughing for for certain parts.
1: I, I and I don't think they quite sold some of the the, the friendship angle that they were trying to go for regarding. Uh, Jay and Jay Seth, and, Seth and, and how you know their friendship has supposedly fallen apart mm-hmm. throughout the years they they touch on it I don't think it ever really hits home mm-hmm. you know it, it's not like in super bad yeah for example where that friendship by the end of the movie you actually feel for both those characters and the fact that they'll be splitting up mm-hmm. this movie didn't really it, it didn't quite have it yeah, it, it was like hitting the the those beats. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to hit like, oh, we were friends, and then you went away, and and now you've sold out, and I didn't stay with you mm-hmm. that one time I was in L.A. And it's like they acknowledge the conflict, but there there's never really a scene where they hash it out.
2: Yeah, they they kind of just forgive each other, and then there's a
1: part of me that thinks maybe that's okay because yes, if you were about to die and. The world was ending, you would just say, screw it, we don't need to talk about it, I forgive you.
2: There's a big old demon coming over. Yeah. Seven heads, man. Gotta go.
1: So maybe they were working on the script and realized, you know what, it's not necessary. Yeah. If they're facing imminent death.
2: For tearful interventions.
1: (laughs) So yeah, not a great movie, I would say. Nothing I would feel compelled to rewatch over and over and over again. Yeah. But just in terms of the amount of jokes and the amount of quality laughs, mm-hmm. yes, if this is if I see this on TV or if a friend wants to watch it, sure, I would happily revisit this movie.
2: Yeah. I would still rate Pineapple Express higher.
1: Oh, I enjoyed this so much more All than right. Pineapple Express. This made me laugh way more than, than that film.
2: To each his own.
1: You know, if, if we're going to com- compare it to... Other comedies in this Who vein? we were to
2: compare it to one of their other films?
1: <laughs> I would say this is the best non Judd Apatow <laughs> comedy <laughs> in this vein.
2: I don't know. Tropic Thunder was pretty badass.
1: Tropic Thunder was pretty good. I would say as just as films, 40-Year-Old Virgin and Knocked Up are miles ahead of this.
2: Super bad? No?
1: Super bad? I don't know. Maybe.
2: I would rank it above this.
1: I probably would as well. Yeah. So let's say in, in terms of this type of movie since Superbad, <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the better ones. Okay, yes. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to say about this is the end? Okay. Okay. Well, it's time for our final part of the show, Reboot This. This is the segment we do every week. And how it works is we pitch either a sequel, prequel, or a remake to the movie we just discussed. Because Hollywood loves franchises, and it will do anything it can to turn every property into a franchise if possible. So, Monica, Mm -hmm. let's say This Is The End makes $500 million at the box office. Mm -hmm. It's just an incredible hit. Hollywood comes to you and says, we want you to continue this franchise. What would you do?
2: I think I would do a sequel, This Is The End Part (laughs) 2, but instead of all new comedians or so, give a chance to the old guard, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, let them (laughs) go at each other for the end of the world.
1: So would it be like a similar movie, like set during the same time?
2: Yeah, yeah, it would definitely, it would, but like, say, like, the other side, another part of Hollywood, instead of, like, Beverly Hills, another gated community. (laughs)
1: Like, oh, while all this was happening at James Franco's house, this is what was happening over at Bill Murray's place.
2: At Jack Nicholson's place. Done. (laughs) (laughs) He could be the Danny McBride
0: of the group.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you'd say just, basically... You, are, are you saying they they should take the Hangover Part 2 route, <laughs> where they just sort of <laughs> make the same movie? It
2: worked for Todd Phillips. Nobody caught on until the third one. <laughs> so no one make a threequel. Just keep it at the sequel.
1: So just the just s- sequel is just going to be the same movie, but with older people.
2: Yeah. I think that'd be okay. fun. Uh, Running Demons is going to be a little bit harder. Okay. Plus, it okay. would also give us the chance to spoof all of their movies. And possibly other kinds of horror movies as well.: That's true., yeah. that
1: is true. Okay, well well, I had two ideas for this. Okay. Uh, and both of them would they're, they're both potential sequels here. So my first idea was similar to yours, like, let's just look at what's happening to other people during this time yeah and it could be a completely new cast what's
2: zoe de doing
1: <laughs> yeah but i i do think there needs to be some connective tissue here so i do think it would be cool to see what happened to emma watson i
2: was just about to say girls in the apocalypse <laughs> there needs to be a girl version damn it
1: they'll do a crossover with the bling ring yeah. sequel <laughs> so yeah um I, I do think it would be interesting to see what happened to Emma Watson after she ran off with all their stuff, because they never reference it again. Yeah. And as far as I could see, she wasn't in heaven at the end, so we don't know what happened to her. hmm So maybe make her the star and and do a sequel revolving around her character. Or the other thing I was thinking of is that if you do you do a sequel, now they're all in heaven and come up with some interesting conflict that they have to deal with that will that will involve them going back down to earth
0: how could you get
2: upset in heaven that's terrible <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll see this if, if they really wanted to do some interesting stuff they could actually dive into some really interesting theological and existential ideas like, hey, God, we know some of the people down there. Mm-hmm. They're not that bad. Yeah. Why are you tormenting them for all eternity? And then maybe make it about them.
2: Save Channing Tatum.
1: <laughs> yes, save Channing Tatum. Okay. Make it about them going down to earth or going down to hell even mm-hmm. to save their friends. Make, make You could set the entire movie in hell. Which I'm sure would be a very interesting place, and I'm sure they could do some really far-out humor.
2: Escape from Dante's Inferno.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is the end, to escape from hell. Yeah. Okay? They disobey God and go down to hell to rescue some more of their friends and have to deal with the consequences.
0: All right.
1: And they meet Hitler and, you know.
2: Other people who want to get on the bandwagon.
1: Yes. <laughs> Could be interesting. It
2: could be very interesting. It, it would be like it would be like Bill and Ted's <laughs> Bill and
1: Ted's bogus journey.
2: Oh, save George Carlin! <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So, so that, that those are the two ideas I had. Either focus on Emma Watson or turn it into some really interesting spiritual conflict involving saving other souls. There we go. Either one would be hilarious. Of course. If you're listening, Seth Rogen, think about it. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of Cinema Fix. Don't forget to tune in next time when we will be discussing Man of Steel. That's a little independent movie, right,
2: Monica? Yeah, I've never heard of it.
1: I haven't seen any commercials for it at all. At all. We would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at foamgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to us through iTunes, so if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website or visit some of our affiliates. For example, if you visit Amazon through our website, we get a few pennies of whatever you purchase, so every little bit helps us out, and we really appreciate it. Don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place and Let's Get Real. Speaking of Let's Get Real, Monica, you actually have an interview... Coming out shortly with uh, Jeremy Scahill, correct?
2: Uh, Rick Rowley, actually.
1: Oh, Rick Rowley. The
2: uh, director of Dirty Wars.
1: Dirty Wars, which is about Jeremy Scahill. Yes. Correct. Well,
2: they actually worked on the project together, and you'll hear more about that in their interview for Let's Get Real.
1: Okay. I've honestly really been looking forward to seeing Dirty Wars, and I've I've read a lot about Jeremy Scahill, and he, it sounds like a really interesting it's project. Certainly an
2: interesting film.
1: Well, Monica, where can people find more of your work?
2: People can find me on. Twitter and Tumblr at movies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can also find my work reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofca.com.
1: You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson.
0: I'm Monica Castillo.
1: And I have fun this week getting high on cinema. Or other drugs. Whatever you happen to be smoking at the end of the world.
0: This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!